Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, January 5th, 2016. Parade of insanity will continue today. No theme yet. Uh, we're still working through a pile. And it, it's a very smelly pile, if you know what I mean. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, slow, slow, slow down, stop, and open up that thing called a Bible. Turn it on if it's battery-powered, if it's analog, open it. And let's start comparing what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolates to see if what they're actually saying, you know, God wants us to know, to believe, to do, you know, things like that. If that's actually what the Bible says when we take the passages that they're giving us and we put them back in context. This is a fact-checking, myth-busting type of program. And uh, listen, I don't ever want you to take my word for anything. Always listen with an open Bible. Never listen to Fighting for the Faith with an open mind. Yeah, I don't care if you give me the benefit of the doubt. All I really want you to do is open up your Bible and see if you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Because uh, once you start to see it, uh, the reality is you can't unsee it. I think that's a good way of putting it. Now, we're going to build off of yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And in yesterday's episode, I mean, l- listen, I couldn't tell you ahead of time that what we were going to get to. I do know some of the segments we're going to get to today. In fact, I think I've narrowed it down to three for sure that we will be able to get to today. We have a Perry Stone update, the latest episode of Perry Stone's Manifest program uh, features... Him uh, revealing what the Lord is apparently showing him about this prophetic season. So we're going to kind of continue with the uh, false prophecy theme, if you would. You know, what are the prophets supposedly saying? God always has lots to say around January 1. Why, I have no idea. But uh, And uh, then we, we are going to check in with Keith Craft. We have a Mariachi Trench update with Keith Craft, and we're going to hear him reveal the, year, uh, the word for the year and... Note something that he does. In fact, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley uh, sent me an email uh, discussing his technique. In fact, I might even read Pastor Charmley's email in the mix of this. And then we're going to check in with the uh, Jim Baker program. We've noted earlier, uh, that would be late last year, 
earlier in an earlier episode of Fighting for the Faith that uh, so-called prophet John Shorey is claiming that the Great Tribulation is going to start in March of this year. And um, the uh, the expectation that they're creating over there at the Jim Baker show is that the Antichrist himself, uh, Beelzebub in the flesh, um, yeah, <laughs> the great man of lawlessness, is going to step onto the world stage in 2016. So here we got all this weird stuff going on. I mean, we got some prophets claiming this is your year. It's the turnaround. Everything's going to start to straighten out and fly right in your life and <laughs> yeah you know, yeah you're just going to you're going to start to experience God's blessings just in time for you to have to run for your life because uh, the antichrist is going to show up oh man i mean you just can't make this stuff up and uh, and then in hour number 2 we're going to head down to Willow Creek in South Barrington and no we're not going to listen to a Bill Hybel sermon uh, in fact, they've been having a guy by the name of Steve Carter. He's been doing a lot of the preaching over there at Willow Creek. Makes you wonder. Uh, makes you wonder if um, Bill Hybels is uh, is purposely starting to take less and less of an un- upfront role in the in the expectation of passing off the leadership baton to others over there at Willow Creek. It just makes you wonder. But we're going to listen to um, <laughs> Steve Carter. Um, you know, basically ask the question, what are you going to name your mountain? You know, something to that effect is what that sermon's going to be about. And it's just a classic study in narcissus. And if you're not familiar with that term, narcissus is a combination of two words, narcissism and eisegesis. Eisegesis is no way to read scripture. Eisegesis means to read something into the scripture that isn't there. We saw an example of that yesterday with uh, Rick Warren as well as Adam Hushka, uh, each of them reading completely different and opposite things into the uh, Christmas story, which was rather fascinating. And narcissistic eisegesis is the reading of yourself into the biblical text when you're not there at all. And uh, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, a great way to scratch itching ears and make sure that people don't hear what they need to hear from the biblical text. Yeah, it's a, it's a form of deception of the highest order. So that will be uh, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and uh, we're going to get right to it since we're going to start off with a Perry Stone update. That requires us to do this. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is sore loose, and I ain't got sense God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy. I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. That's right. That's uh, Leroy Pullins, and I'm a nut. And uh, we're going to get right to it. Here's the nut himself, Perry Stone, as uh, he reveals what the Lord is showing him about this so-called prophetic season. Here we go. I was a young minister many years ago, starting out in ministry. I was called to preach at age 16 and began to see revivals go four weeks, three weeks, 11 weeks, seven half weeks, etc., when 
During my earlier ministry, a man named Rufus Dunford prayed for me, and Rufus Dunford could speak at least, my daddy said, seven to eight languages in tongues in the gift. Which is absurd, by the way. Um, yeah, the modern manifestation of tongues in the so-called Pentecostal movement, those aren't languages. It's just utter gibberish. Yeah. Diverse kinds of tongues, yet he had a third-grade education. In the early days of my ministry, for about three solid years, the Spirit of God would come on me, and I would have a manifestation come on my physical body where I would feel my hands almost become numb, my face become numb, but it wasn't uncomfortable. It didn't hurt. Mm -hmm. So maybe you were having a stroke. All right. So notice what he's doing here. This is We noted this particular technique yesterday on the uh, program, and Perry Stone is using a, that same technique that we described yesterday. This is the creation of the... Um, uh, the uh, well, false illusion, if you would. This is to create the illusion that what it is that you're about to hear, this is legitimately from God. Well, how do you know this is from God? Well, my face got numb. Whoa, yeah. See, that proves it right there. If you know, if, if uh, you know, you're sitting down and you're thinking about you know preaching or teaching or something like that, and all of a sudden your face goes numb. Well, that's. Yeah, that's the signal that you're starting to get direct revelation. So what he's doing here is basically letting his audience know this. We're not going to be opening up our Bibles. Uh, 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 no, I'm going to be exegeting a direct revelation from God. And how do you, I know this is a direct revelation. Well, because it felt like I was having a stroke. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Or maybe I went to the dentist and, you know, <laughs> it's part of my, half of my face. I couldn't feel it, you know, because of the Novocaine. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. It happened. It was a sign from God that I was to prophesy. A prophecy is to speak an utterance under the inspiration of God without a message in tongues, which followed by an interpretation. Uh, recently, on Sunday night, on 9-13-2015 in Huntington, West Virginia, I stood to the pulpit to preach. And I can't explain it, but I felt that anointing come on me, Mark, so heavy that I now uh, the the trembling, uh, you know, the quivering lip, and the, it sounds like he's about ready to cry here. This is all the more proof that this really had to be the Holy Spirit. Come on, yeah. See, this has got to be from God, right? No, this is all manipulation. You think I would be able to stand behind the pulpit if that Robbie and them got concerned that I was going to literally pass out, and it wasn't a physical thing; it was a spiritual thing. And I'm going to read to you this prophecy, and then I'm going to preach you're, on. You're going to what? You're going to read to us? Yeah, so remember the job of a pastor is to do what? Preach the word, the word, the written word. Now let me give you some context on this passage so that you kind of see what's going on here. What he's doing is exactly the opposite of what a pastor should be doing. Uh, for, uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, by the way, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to note here uh, the context here. And um, here's what it says. Um, I'll start at um, verse 10, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll start at verse 10, and we'll identify what it is that uh, uh, the Apostle Paul is referring to, and then look at its implications for what's going on in chapter 4. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy. This is a pastoral epistle. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and yet from them all the Lord rescued me. 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. These are the days we live in, by the way. Lots of imposters, and they're going from bad to worse. And uh, But as for you, okay, in light of the fact that there's imposters in the church, Paul says, as for you, young Pastor Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? Watch this, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, every last bit of it, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, according to Scripture, you as a Christian... There isn't a single thing that God is going to call you to or could call you to do that the written word of God, the sacred writings, will not be sufficient for, you know, to equip you to do. You're going to be, you, you, if God calls you to do something, the only thing you need in order to be equipped for it is the written word of God. That's what it says here. And therefore, in light of that, Paul says, chapter two, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That would be the sacred writings. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. Yeah, yeah. so here's the idea. Scripture is very clear. job of a pastor is to preach the word, and the referent there in the text is the sacred writings. Now, I'm a pastor, and as a pastor, I have a duty to not preach anything else other than the written word of God. What Perry Stone is doing here is blasphemous and shows that he is in defiance to the real Holy Spirit, because he's now preaching, no joke, what he claims is a direct revelation from God, contrary to what God the Holy Spirit has taught us, that we are to hang on to and abide and preach and teach the sacred writings. We continue. The Lord is showing me about this prophetic season. This was a prophecy, but the Lord said... There's coming a sign in this country. There's coming a sign. It's in the very near future. The righteous will discern and the unrighteous will not. You'll know it when you see it because it will be something that will be so significant. It will grip your attention. Because the Lord is doing his best to wake up America one more time. One more time. He does this because he loves this country. Then I stopped there and I said, now listen to me. I'm hearing something. That was me saying that. Then I went back in the spirit. America is a giving country. If you don't believe that, let disaster happen anywhere in the world. Who shows up first? It doesn't matter what country. If it's a Muslim country, it doesn't matter. Indonesia doesn't matter. Taiwan doesn't matter. Japan, it doesn't matter. Who shows up? I hear the Spirit of God say this. And I remember the anointing was so heavy when this came forth. I remember the good, but my people don't. But, and I will give you an inheritance. I will give you another chance because of what you planted in the past. Mm, that's weird. This is really weird, and the reason I say that is apparently God considers uh, what America does to be a good work even if the person doing it in America doesn't have faith. And yet 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. So uh, this direct revelation that Perry Stone claims to have received from God the Holy Spirit, the theology in it contradicts the written word of God, which means there ain't no way on earth that uh, Perry Stone actually heard this via the Holy Spirit. Nope. The theology is absolutely incorrect and not biblical, and as a result of it, what he's passing off as a direct revelation, clearly, according to the written word of God, isn't. Those before you have planted in the past, it will come up before God one more time. You're going to see, as men speak of pockets of selective judgment, so likewise there is pockets of selective revival. Areas where people will pray and pray and worship and worship until the glory is seen. That just happened. It will not be the type of meeting that will make attention from coast to coast. But in that region and with those people, the town will know there's a visitation from heaven going on. Listen, Mark, listen to this. And it will be known as the rule revival. Because people will begin to leave large cities, says the Spirit of God. Not in droves or in masses. But they're going to begin to pull away and uh, not know why, but go into mountain areas, into smaller cities because of the danger. Now, this, this may be a revelation of what's coming. Because of the dangers and the fear and the mobs and the robbing and looting and stealing. And God's talking about in major cities. The people will be drawn to where, there are, where the good people are, where they hear that people love each other and they care about one another. Some will come and they'll have no background in the word. They'll have no background in the things of the spirit, but they'll be drawn here because of the mercy of God and drawn to places because of the mercy of the Lord for people. And the good people who know the Lord and know their God shall teach them the things of the Lord. One more time, listen to this, because the Lord says he still cares because he said there is still more than a remnant. Hallelujah. Uh, no, no, that's not hallelujah. That's not the word of the Lord. If he were bringing them the word of the Lord, he would be bringing them the written word of God and rightly handling it. And he's going to go on from here to exegete and explain and go on this supposed direct revelation from God. And all the while, the people there at his church, they're not hearing the word of the Lord. They're being deceived by a false prophecy, which is exactly what this is. And remember, Jesus, he says that in the last days, there's not going to be a proliferation of true prophets. He's going to say there would be a proliferation of false prophets, which is exactly what uh, Perry Stone is. Talking about false prophets, moving along. These are the sounds of the Mariachi Trench. That's right, the Mariachi Trench. Keith Kraft is the man who has revealed to us the existence of the Mariachi Trench. And every single year, Keith Kraft claims that he receives a word, a singular word from God himself. And this year, well, God has come through again and has revealed the word for the people of Elevate Life Church. So let me let me go ahead and back off on the music here. I love the music of the uh, Mariachi Trench, by the way. It's a really well done rendition. But um, <laughs> so we are going to be heading over to the New Year's Eve service over there at Elevate Life Church as Keith Kraft gets ready to transition from 2015 
into 2016. And uh, and then we'll have to take a break partway through this. And then the other side of the break, we're going to yeah, check in a little bit more and hear his, his State of the Church address, apparently. There's a State of the Church address. And um, <laughs> where Perry Stone... Yeah, he elaborates in in a fashion that really only he's capable of doing because he's engaging in a particularly um, deceitful uh, technique, which will uh, let Pastor Charmley identify for us. But here is uh, Keith Kraft of Elevate Life Church, Frisco, Texas, from his New Year's Eve uh, revealing of the word for 2016 service. Here we go. The things that I feel like that God speaks to me, it actually really does happen. And either I'm a false prophet or I'm a prophet or I'm pathetic. Yeah, I'm going to go with the false prophet on that one. Sometimes I don't know which, but here's what I can tell you. What we say is going to happen. We could show you story after story tonight of what God has done. And yes, with that rain has come floods and now there's flooding all over America and we're dealing with that now. But I'm just here to tell you. Yeah, that's right. What you missed there is that uh, Keith Kraft claims that he correctly prophesied that the flood or the uh, drought in Texas would be over in 2016. And sure enough, it ended. And, and now there's flooding everywhere. And watch what he does with this. I mean, this is just bizarre because he's going to turn around and kind of like be really what I would consider insensitive to those people who've lost their homes or, and property and communities to the flooding that's been taking place in the middle part of America. Listen to what he says. Tell you that when you've been in a drought for five years, whatever you have to deal with that comes with it, we're dealing with it. We're going to grow through it. And God is watering the earth again. And it's a picture that times of refreshing are coming. And to show. <laughs> so, those of you who've lost your homes and, you know, your communities have been destroyed by the flooding in the Midwest, especially out there in Missouri. Um, yeah, just keep in mind that this shows that God is once again watering the earth and that times of refreshing are just around the corner for you. Wow. Wow. I mean, you just can't make this up. Show us that 2016 is going to be our best year ever. So 2016, best year ever. Keep that note in mind there, that 2016 is going to be the best year ever because... <laughs> We're going to hear from the uh, Jim Baker crowd. They're going to basically be creating the expectation that the Antichrist himself is showing up in 2016. Best year ever, you know. Some of you have been in a drought in the last five years. You've tried this. You've tried that. You've believed God for this. You've believed God for that. And I'm just here to tell you, in this 2015, our, it was our year to be empowered. That means divinely enabled to fulfill our God-given destiny. Yeah, no, the word empower does not mean that. There is not a single, and I mean this, single dictionary that you can go to where, you know, it'll give you that definition of, of empower. Now, let me let me pull this up in my email program. Um, Keith Crass, uh, etymo Etymological Deception is the name of the email that I recently received from um, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. And I felt it would be important for me to read this to you because he's going to identify and describe uh, the type of deception that Keith Kraft engages in. And it, it's not pretty. Let me just put it that way. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charlie writes, says, Dear Chris, listening to Keith Kraft's alleged word for 2015, my ears metaphorically pricked up when after saying that he had claimed wisdom and talked about the, this wisdom moment, 
He went into the etymology of the word understand. When a false teacher starts talking about etymology, you know you have a fast one being pulled. The only reason to do etymology gymnastics with a word as common as understand is to make that word mean something other than what it actually means. And the only reason to do that is that one is trying to teach something that is not in the Bible while pretending that it is. The trick works like this. The false teacher sneaks his idea in by saying, word A is derived from words B and C, and therefore it means D. (laughs) In fact, uh, he's trying to pull a fast one using one or more of the following tactics. Number one, our old friend, The etymological fallacy, this is of course the fallacy that the meaning of a word is found in its etymology so that by discovering the derivation of a word, one illuminates its true meaning. This of course is nonsense. Words change their meaning over time and the true meaning of a word is determined by its usage in the particular context in which it is found. Craft goes into the etymology of understand Uh, from the English under and stand so that he can assert that it means to put under my standing, i.e. make that which I stand upon. No, it does not. Understanding means in English to comprehend, not to make the thing that I stand upon either literally or metaphorically. Even if it originally had such a meaning, which it did not, that was demonstrably not its meaning by the time that the New Living Translation, the one Keith Craft is using, was made. If someone says to you, well, I understand that the Kirkstall Road in Leeds is underwater right now, you would be a moron to imagine that he was saying that he has made the fact that the Kirkstall Road is currently inundated the foundation on which he is standing. No, you recognize that he is saying that as far as he comprehends the situation right now, the Kirkstall Road is flooded. If I say to you, I understand what you're saying, I don't mean that I am making the words that you are speaking the foundation for my life, but that I comprehend them. The fact that the English understand is derived from under and stand does not matter. It means to comprehend And that is all there is to it. Number two, the etymologies. This is the technique of discussing etymology of English words in depth so as to give the illusion of explaining a text that was not originally written in English. Not only is the etymology fallacy well a fallacy, but the English Bible is a translation. So the etymology of an English word rarely, if ever, tells us anything about the meaning of the Hebrew or Greek term that underlies it. Paul did not use the English word understand. Therefore, its etymology is irrelevant in explaining his meaning. Three, false etymologies. Some words sound like other words to which they are not, in fact, related, or the relation to those words is not what the person is asserting. Even when an English word is genuinely related to other words, you need to know how that relationship works. A good example is a false etymology attached to handicap in the sense of a disability. It is derived, uh, the claim goes, from hand and cap and refers to the fact that in days gone by, those who were disabled had to live as beggars going cap in the hand to receive charity. In fact, however, 
It is derived from the horse racing term handicap, extra weight added to a horse to slow it down, and thus was metaphorically applied to those with a handicap in the race of life. Yet it does derive from the English words hand and cap, but via a practice known as hand and cap, that was an old gambling practice, the words are right, but the relationship between them is misunderstood, creating a false etymology. Kraft, that's Keith Kraft, does something similar with understand in that having stated that it is derived from under and stand, he asserts that it means to put under my standing, or in other words, to make a thing that which I stand upon, a meaning that is never and that is never had in English. No, it means to comprehend. The word understand is indeed derived from the English under and stand, but the former word under has the meaning of close to or in the midst of, not beneath, which is its uniform meaning today. The idea would seem to be that when you see a thing up close, you comprehend it. Thus, that which you stand close to is that which you comprehend. This is the meaning of that old English understandan, the earliest known form has. To go back to my earlier example, in 1611, you were in Yorkshire and a man said to you, I understand that the Kirkstall Road is underwater. It would have meant exactly what it means today, that as far as I comprehended the matter, the Kirkstall Road was flooded. What Kraft displays is a typical deception word study tactic that gives the illusion of explaining the text when all it does, in fact, is make it less rather than more clear. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know is the hope to which he has called you, Ephesians 1.18 means, to have illuminated your capacity to comprehend what the Christian hope is, not that we would be enabled to make that hope the ground on which we stand. But by his etymological monkey business, Keith Kraft manages to give the impression that, he, that this is a text that you cannot comprehend unless you have the special knowledge he has of the etymology of the word understand. That's what all the wisdom moment stuff is about, giving the impression that this is a very difficult text that needs a special divine wisdom to interpret. Incidentally, I keep finding myself using the word understand in writing this and having to quickly find a synonym. This is an immensely deceptive tactic, and if there is any wisdom in what he says, it is the false wisdom that comes from below, not the true wisdom which is from above. In the name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Pastor Charmley, great, great email, and uh, thank you for taking the time to lay this out so that we have at least uh, a proper understanding, comprehension, of uh, of the et etymological monkey business that uh, Keith Kraft is engaged in. Now, we are up on our first break, and so what we're going to do is uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll get back to Keith Kraft and uh, note his uh, etymological monkey business as he reveals and discusses the so-called word that God gave him for the year 2016. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of 
Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue with a little bit more of Keith Kraft and his etymological uh, funny business, as well as uh, Jim Baker and their creating of the expectation 2016 Antichrist is coming. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. Yeah. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. 
It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016, with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think all those people claiming direct revelations from God, the Holy Spirit, you know, at the beginning of the year, they're hearing from something, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you choose. That's right. It's an amount that you choose. We have four different ranks uh, in our crew. Uh, the lowest rank is Powder Monkey at nine ninety five a month. Gunner's made at twenty four ninety five. Master Gunner at forty nine ninety five. Quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. You pick your 
your your crew ranking, and uh, that makes it possible for us to not only keep doing what we're doing, but we're currently trying to save up, if you would. Uh, we're, We're in the hunt for the equivalent of 600 new powder monkeys, and we're making progress. We're making progress. We're not to 600 yet. And the goal is once we get to 600, we'll be able to uh, hire some more people to kind of d- help develop phase two of the uh, the new piratechristian.com uh, website, which is where Fighting for the Faith resides. And uh, so supporting us not only helps us keep doing what we're doing, but expand the ways in which we're able to serve the body of Christ. So if you don't already support us and you find Fighting for the Faith to be a valuable resource, please consider joining our crew, picking one of the ranks and uh, supporting us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's continue now with uh, Keith Craft and pay attention to his etymological uh, monkey business as uh, Pastor Gervais Charmley has uh, so wonderfully pointed out for us. We continue. Here we go. And that means that it's just it's just something that now is rolled into the tapestry of your life. And as we come to the end of this year, we move from the word empowered. And I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter. I'm reading in the now. now. Notice what he's doing here. So we're moving from the word "empower," which he has completely botched. It doesn't mean what he says it means at all. Like not even close. And now he's opening up his Bible to create the false impression that what he's doing now is going to reveal the word for 2016, and it's somehow based on something in the Bible when it's not. At all, not not even close to closely related to the text that he's reading. But we continue. National or New International Version, and I'm going to set the I'm going to set the the platform for this because this coming weekend I'm going to preach on this, and then at our that will be our state of the church address. I don't want you to miss it. It's a very important weekend for us. I want to encourage you to be here. And uh, so again, what is today? Is today Thursday? Okay, I've just kind of been lost on the days. So this Saturday and this Sunday, be in the house of God. Let's be here. Let's believe God that he's going to begin to speak this word to us. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, God's power to do things God's way. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you catch that? He said grace is God's power to do things God's way. That's not what grace means. Grace is not God's power to do things God's way. He's engaging in, as Pastor Charmley has so rightly pointed out, uh, etymological monkey business. Yeah, the uh, the Greek word, by the way, behind our English translation of the word grace is charis. And it means favor. It can mean gratitude. It can mean a gift. That's what the word charis means. It does not mean God's power to do God's will God's way. That's not what grace means. Another way you could describe grace is as unmerited favor. That would be a completely fine way of describing grace. But what he's doing here is just bizarre. The grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches to Elevate Life Church. In the midst of a very severe trial, Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty 
welled up in rich generosity. Let me just stop right here and say this. There's a lot of people think that people who are generous are generous because they have a lot of money. They have a lot of time. And can I tell you something? A spirit of generosity is not because, well, you have some more, you have some money. When you give extravagantly, it's not because you have a lot of extra money to give. When you give your time to people, when you take time for people and you love people, it's not because you've got more time than they have. It's because you're generous. And that's the way you live. And I want you to see this. He says, let me tell you about this grace, this power of God that the Macedonian church has had in the midst of a severe trial. There's very few people outside our close family circle that knows that know the trials that our family has been through this year. Like I said, it's been the, as Charles Dickens said, the the best of times and it's been the worst of times. Severe trials, brokenness. But in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy or extravagant joy and their extreme poverty, they welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Now listen to this. And even beyond their ability. Everybody put your hand on your heart and say, God, make me like that. It makes you wonder if this little excursion into God's word, especially this particular text, um, is basically really showing what the real motivation for all of this is. You know, you need to give more money to Elevate Life Church. You know, it's very expensive to run uh, a mega church like that. Very, very expensive. Most expensive way to do church known to man, if you can even call it church. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So this is our year to be empowered. The power of God to do things God's way. And I just- yeah, no, empower does not mean the power of God to do things God's way. That's not what the word means. I just feel in my heart that God's saying, you know what? Let's bring this to completion. You, you feel that's what God's saying in your heart. Why isn't he telling you to repent? Let's be people that know now that we are empowered. I want you to say this out loud with me. Say, I am empowered. I'm empowered to conceive the inconceivable. <laughs> inconceivable. Maybe he's trying to start a land war in Asia, you know. Come on, say it. I'm empowered to conceive the inconceivable. To believe the unbelievable. To achieve the unachievable. Yeah, it says no biblical text anywhere. To conquer the unconquerable. Yeah, notice how important you are, not Jesus. I thought Jesus is the one who conquered the unconquerable. That would be the devil himself. Clearly, we didn't do the conquering. They gave first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, 
in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness. So there's the word. You heard him say it. Since you excel, by the way, yeah, spoiler alert, the word for 2016 is excel. And he, he's claiming to be receiving it directly from God. And somehow it has something to do with this text. And in love, we have kindled in you. See also that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to testify and to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace, the power of God to do things God's way. Yeah, no, grace does not mean the power of God to do things God's way. That is not what that word means at all. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So maybe he wants them to excel in giving money. I think that's what the, uh, the, the gist of all of this is. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Somebody put an amen on that. And here, Why? Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. You see, it's one thing to give, but it's another thing to really have the desire to do so. Yeah, money, 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 money. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. The word for 2016 is Excel. We mm. Woohoo! Oh, it's Excel! Wow! I'm so excited! Uh-huh, yeah, this is just utter manipulation and nonsense. Let me back this up. The word for 2016 is excel. We are going to excel in every area of our life. Come on. Yeah, no, you're not. You really aren't. And you're fooling yourself if you think you are. Come on, I want you to give God praise for that. We are. Yeah, this is not from God. We are going to excel. Excel in everything. Excel in faith. Excel in business. Excel in speech. Excel in knowledge. Excel in complete earnestness. Excel in love. Excel in this grace. La, 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 la. That God has given to us. Look at somebody and say, I'm getting ready to excel, are you? Come on, tell them that. So you get the idea from that of uh, the nonsense and uh, word manipulation that went on at the uh, Elevate Life New Year's Eve service. Well... On Sunday, he gave his State of the Church address. Yeah, he's head of state there at uh, the Cathedral of Frisco, apparently. And uh, I, we're going to listen to a little bit of that so you can kind of see a little bit more of, of what exactly Keith Kraft is up to and how he manipulates and deceives these people. Here is uh, Keith Kraft from his 2016 State of the Church address. Here we go. But our word for the year is Excel. Our word for the year is Excel. And here's what that means. Take a look at your notes, and if you didn't get... Now, listen carefully. See if you can find this meaning for the word Excel in any dictionary that you know of. Here we go. They'll be glad to give you the notes. The ushers will, uh, along with a $1,000 check that they've got in their hand. So you might want to raise your hand for that. No, I'm just kidding. But... Uh, yeah, he's got money on the brain. It makes me wonder if uh, things are financially tight there at the Cathedral of Frisco. Anyway, it's always funny. Last service, I just had to say this. Last service, I said, hey, if you need $100, come ask for somebody. We had a whole line 
out in the lobby, people asking for a hundred, but there's just a deal we have with that. If you give a hundred, we'll give you a hundred. So, uh, but, but seriously, uh, we do want to give you a, a nice, uh, Mont Blanc pin that says Bic on it. Again, it's, I, it, everything he talks about here, it just seems to be focusing on money, 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 money. It just makes me wonder. Yeah, is he is he behind on his bills? Yeah, it just makes me wonder, you know. A plastic pen. So if you don't have a pen, you'd like a pen. And uh, that's for taking notes, not for drawing other things. All right. So Excel, what does it mean? It mean- Yeah, what does the word Excel mean? Let, let's do this. Okay, dictionary.com. Uh, yeah, I'm pulling up my web browser. We'll pull this up. We're going to look up the word Excel. Okay, here we go. Excel, uh, to surpass others or to be superior in some respect or area, to do extremely well. Mm-hmm. It could mean to surpass, to be superior, to outdo. That's what the word Excel means from dictionary.com. Now, if you're wondering, you know, what about that uh, 2 Corinthians text? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 8. Um, the word Excel in verse 7 uh, excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Uh, the uh, Greek word there is uh, parasuo, and it means to abound. Yeah, that's what that word means. So there you go. You've got the English as well as the Greek from the uh, the text that he was supposedly exegeting on New Year's Eve. And uh, let's see what he thinks the word excel means. Here we go. It means to soar. Everybody say soar. Soar beyond our ordinary into God's extraordinary. How many of y'all are ready for God's extraordinary? Yeah, where, where'd you get that definition of the word excel? To soar beyond our ordinary into God, God's extraordinary? What? Receive good things which God has prepared for those that love him. And can I just tell you, God has some great things in store for you this year. And- yeah, so apparently God has some great things in store for you, you know, through the deception and etymological monkey business of um <laughs> of heathcraft wow so there you go i mean whenever this guy says a word means something it doesn't mean what he says it means uh which means he's incapable of uh of correctly teaching you god's word because he's engaging in deception those who are not rightly handling god's word who are not paying attention to what words actually mean but are making up meanings are not actually discipling you in the Christian faith. They are pointing you away from Christ and what God's word really means. Is Keith Craft a prophet? Is he really hearing from God? No. If you were hearing from God, the word he would hear from God is repent. Moving along. Time for a Jim Baker update. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. And gloom very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. That's right, doom and gloom coming soon. So the prophets are all speaking, right? 
And you got all this whole group saying, oh, this is going to be your best year ever. I mean, Joel Osteen's, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> offering letter for the month of January says that God gave him the word accelerate so that, you know, you know, you can have acceleration in, you know, the great things in your destiny and stuff. And, uh, of course, you know, we just heard Keith Kraft, their words excel. And, you know, the, the prophets are speaking. This is going to be the year of the tide turning and, and the slipstream and stuff like that. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. Uh, you know, uh, the folks over at Jim Baker's uh, program are creating the expectation that the thing that we're supposed to be seeing in the year uh, 2016 is not acceleration in good things. No, 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 no. What we're supposed to be hearing and seeing and, well, experiencing is, well, in March, we got the Great Tribulations going to start kicking off. And uh, and then, you know, and then apparently the Antichrist himself is going to walk onto the world stage. Here's um, Jim Baker and Tom Horn explaining what to expect in 2016. Here we go. Tom, you have some recent meetings with rabbis and you got some quotes from rabbis about ISIS, which is kind of fascinating. Well, could, could you share that? Yeah, I didn't actually meet with the rabbis. The point that I made in one of the notes that I had sent over, I think, to, um, well, anyway, some part of your staff, Mm -hmm. was how ironic it is that while we see what's happening with ISIS and their apocalyptic uh, vision and what's happening in the Middle East, and and look at all these other prophecies like the burden of Damascus and all these other things that could unfold as a result of these uh, conflicts, isn't it interesting that you also have people of other faith, including the Jews, who also believe that the Messiah is about to appear. And Jim- mm, isn't it interesting? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Now, he's not making a statement of fact. He's just saying, well, isn't it interesting? And so he's, you know, isn't it interesting? He's creating expectation without actually saying that this is what's going to happen. Uh huh. Yeah, this is the uh, tactic they engaged in regarding the Shemitah in the four blood moons. They clearly were creating expectation that there was some apocalyptic, eschatological, significant thing that was going to happen. On a little 29, nothing happened. Um, yeah, or at the four blood moons. Mm-hmm. We continue. You recall uh, a couple of years ago, I came and did some shows with you, and I think it was on the book Zenith 2016. Yeah. And, uh, and, but at the time I was saying, why did so many dozens, dozens literally, of ancient seers. You're a seer. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did so many... <laughs> what, Tom Horn? You think that Jim Baker's a seer? Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All he's seeing is lots and lots of cash flowing into his ministry with the dog food buckets that he's selling, that he's calling apocalyptic preparedness food. Anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, no, um, that's like saying, why is it? Oh, you know, think about it, folks. Why is it? That so many seers in the year 2015 were saying that something significant was going to happen with the four blood moons. Oh, they couldn't all possibly be wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a, just a lame argument. But watch what the expectation that he's creating, though. Seers believe that the Antichrist would appear on Earth in the year 2016. Mm. The, 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 now, the Maya didn't call him, you know, the Antichrist. They just said two great terrible men yeah the maya yeah because everybody knows how the world ended when the mayan calendar came to an end yeah i remember that too to show up on the earth in that period of time um but 
uh, jo- uh, 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 Jonathan Edwards, the great famous preacher, wrote letters at the university level in which he said the Antichrist will appear in the year 2016. Wrote that almost 200 years ago. We've- yeah, well, um, hmm. Yeah, because he wrote it 200 years ago, that must mean he figured it out. Jonathan Edwards, everybody knows that Jonathan Edwards is a good guy. And uh, why is it? Why, 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 why is it that 200 years ago he would have said that 2016 is when the Antichrist would appear? It's because he clearly is a seer. He clearly was in the know. He clearly was able to crack the code. Jonathan Edwards, you know, the guy who preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. All the seminarians read it. He couldn't possibly be wrong. Ah, oh, yes, that's right. So, I mean, th- there it is. Jonathan Edwards said that, you know, the Antichrist was coming this year. So, yeah, you, you better start buying dog food buckets from uh, Jim Baker. Literally dozens and dozens of Protestant university-level documents, books, li- at the library at Yale University and places like that, where the, where the most prolific uh, evangelical and Protestant writers at the time were trying to determine, when's the Antichrist going to appear? And dozens of them said, the year 2016, said this at the turn of the century mm. in the 1800s. Mm. But we also, when we did those shows that day, you might recall, we talked about the Zohar. Now, the Zohar. The, the Zohar. Is that that movie that Adam Sandler was? Never mind, yeah. Anybody that knows, the rabbi certainly is familiar with yeah. the Zohar. Mm-hmm. This is the most important work of Jewish Kabbalah, mysticism. Mm-hmm. And- right, we're going we're gonna to hang our hat on when the Antichrist is going to appear from the Kabbalah and the Zohar. Really? All of the Orthodox uh, Jews in Israel study the Zohar. Why is that important? Because in a section in the Zohar called the Ve'era section, there's a subsection called Signs Heralding Mashiach, or the coming of the Messiah. And in this 700-year-old Jewish document, it says when the Messiah would appear first privately to the rabbis in Israel. Guess when it said that would happen? 700 years ago, it said it would happen in the Jewish calendar year 5773, which in our Gregorian calendar started in the middle of 2012 into 2013. said he would appear, manifest himself to them, and then it said shortly thereafter, he will start making himself known to the nations of the world. So what I was talking about with the Jewish rabbis, here's one headline for you. Um, this is out oh, of Oh yeah, Jewish headlines. Yeah, this this uh, that's it folks. You you better start stocking up on dog food buckets from uh, Jim Baker. Yeah, I mean there's just no doubt about it. The antichrist is showing up sometime after March cuz March is when the uh, great tribulation starts. Bill, the time has come for God to reveal the Messiah says Jerusalem's chief rabbi. And then here was one just the week before, one of, uh, another one of Israel's chief rabbis, Rabbi Kandinsky, Messiah could come this week and was actually uh, notifying the students there in the, in the rabbinical. Yeah, did you, did you know, notice that the Messiah didn't actually come that week? Schools in Israel, he's telling them, don't travel don't leave Jerusalem because the Messiah is going to manifest himself at any moment now. So these rabbis that study the Zohar, it sounds very much to me like somebody between 2012, 2013 
made himself known to them, and they... Oh, so apparently Jesus secretly appeared to these rabbis, 2012-2013. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, right. ...believe that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, is here. They believe it. These are their top rabbis. These are not nut jobs. These are the top rabbis yeah. in Israel yes, that are exactly. saying this. They're right. saying it could manifest this week. It's time. Yeah, you'll notice that the, the top rabbis in Israel are not believers in Jesus Christ. If they really believe the Messiah was eminently on the scene, they would be saying Jesus is about to return. That's what they would be saying, right? Him to come, and uh, but because we know that the Orthodox Jews rejected Jesus Christ, right. yeah, they still do. Who might they be talking about? This would be Antichrist, exactly like so many Protestant seers two hundred years ago said. The Antichrist will appear uh, in the year two thousand sixteen. Yeah, so there you go, folks. I mean, so you know, I I don't know what the prophets are saying here. I mean. What is God saying? It's going to be the best year of your life. You know, the slipstream tide turning thing, but somewhere in the middle of the year after you've excelled and you've had acceleration um, during the slipstream thingy. um, Well, you know, the party's going to come to a crashing halt. The Antichrist is going to show up and uh, basically insist on marking you with a mark of the beast. All of that this year. This is going to be a crazy year, man. I... I don't even know how to, where do I start to pencil all of this stuff in is probably a good way to put it. So there you go. Um, Are any of these people actually hearing from the Lord? I seriously, seriously doubt it. Now, would it be nice if the Antichrist showed up? It would be awful and quite wonderful all at the same time. Here's the reason why is because should the Antichrist step onto the world stage and actually declare himself to be such, and we start to see those types of prophecies fulfilled, we know that Jesus is right at the door, that the end is just about here, and it would happen in our lifetime. We're waiting for those signs, are we not? But, um, yeah, those claiming that... um, 2016's the year that the Antichrist is going to show up also happen to be the ones selling the dog food buckets. Um, yeah, I say that because from what I understand, it tastes really awful. Um, you know, trying to get you to prepare for the, the coming of the Great Tribulation and stuff. So, yeah, very fascinating indeed. All right, what would you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to head down to Willow Creek and listen to uh, their teaching pastor there, Steve Carter, about uh, naming your mountain. Yeah. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association 
of Lutheran churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016 with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. This makes you wonder if they're passing the baton off over there at Willow Creek. I mean, that's a church that's been around for 40 years. The Bible's getting a little long in the tooth. Hard to be a relevant vision-casting leader when you're uh, getting long in the tooth, you know what I mean? But uh, let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Willow Creek Community Church, South Barrington, Illinois. Steve Carter, the teaching pastor, presiding. The name of the sermon is Can You Name Your Mountain? (laughs) What? Yeah, I know. I... I don't own any mountains, and I live in North Dakota. In fact, um, here in the part of North Dakota that I live in, it's so flat you can watch your dog run away for two weeks. But, um, so, yeah, I I don't even have a small hill that I can name at this point, so I don't even know what this is about. But can you name your mountain? What you're going to be hearing here is a classic example of what we call a narcissist narcissistically reading yourself into a biblical text and completely missing the entire point, period. I think that'd be a good way to describe it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's uh, teaching pastor Steve Carter from Willow Creek, uh, you know, teaching us to uh, name our mountain. Yeah, here we go. All right, show of hands, show of hands. How many of you are planning... A New Year's resolution. All right. Okay. Good. Good. You know, we have 320 million people who live in the United States of America. And last survey from last year is that 45%, roughly 144 million of you, are having a New Year's resolution. Now, top 10 New Year's resolutions from 2014 go like this. Number one, lose weight. Number two, getting organized. Number three, spend less, save more. 
Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. What does that even mean? <laughs> so ambiguous and vague, but I just I want to enjoy life. That's awesome. Number five, staying fit and healthy. Six, look. Now, the irony here is he's talking about how living life to the fullest is so ambiguous and vague. So is naming your mountain, but I'm way ahead of myself in this sermon. Learn something exciting. Awesome. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, help others in their dreams. I love America. Gives me hope right there. Nine, I want to fall in love. And number 10, spend more time with my family. Uh, I I don't know about you, uh... But I I love the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I I love it because I I like to reflect back. Yeah, I enjoy it too because I get a little time off. On the past year, the past 12 months, I get caught up in all of the the lists. You know, what were the top albums of 2015? What were the top... Yeah, what were the top heresies of 2015? False teachings. Yeah, I think Four Blood Moons and Shemitah would have to be right at the top. Yeah. You know, books that m- you must read for 2015. Or the best movies of 2015, which was Star Wars. It's flat out. <laughs> Loved it. It's like a return. Yeah, I had mixed feelings about the Star Wars movie. I mean, I just felt like I'd seen it all before. It was the same story again. Turn to my childhood. It was so good. I-, I love looking at, like, the best YouTube videos of 2015. But... I also love just to take out my journal and begin to write. Yeah, can we? Can you actually tell us something about Jesus? I really don't think the job of a pastor is to tell us about the pastor. Um, you, I'm hearing a lot about you, very little about Jesus. And I, because you're a seeker-driven, vision-casting leader type, I don't think we're going to hear much about Jesus accurately preached. It's just not looking good, you know. And reflect on God's faithfulness, God's goodness. How God just met me in times of need. I met our church in times of need. And what God did over the past 12 months. But not just reflecting back. I I see this week between Christmas and New Year's as one to prepare. To look ahead. To what God wants to do in 2016. And it's easy to make a resolution like one of the 10 that I just read. But I wonder what it would be like. To think about 2015, those areas in our life where we got stuck, where we plateaued. The areas in my life where I got stuck? What? This, has, this is a biblical teaching? Really? Where the kind of growth that God wanted to do in us and through us just kind of got a little halted. Mm. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so I got stuck. Maybe I should read the book Unstuck, you know, a very spiritual business book, apparently. And so when I started thinking about 2016, I want to address and name what were the areas in my story and in my life. Areas in your story. Yep, we're going to hear a lot about you, not about Jesus, because you ain't going to tell Jesus a story, which is your job as a pastor, by the way. It just got stalled. And that's what I want to do today. I want to set you up to make 2016 something special. Set up is a good way of describing it. It won't be special, though. No. As they drift farther and farther away from Christ and, you know, and further and further into complete biblical illiteracy. And my hope that you will leave this place with something clear and concise 
and a way in which you can move from a place of feeling stuck in some area of your story and move and head out on a journey towards where God wants you to be. Now, I love the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Yeah, I don't think you do. I, I've, I've seen you know, how you handle them. I don't think you love them because if you did, you'd actually preach Christ from them because they're about him, not about you. I love flipping through the pages and learning the story. You might not know this, but for 40 years after the Hebrew people had been rescued from slavery and injustice and oppression. You're talking about the uh, 40-year wilderness wandering of the people of Israel? Yeah, it's weird that you would tell the people there at Willow Creek. You probably are not aware, which is most certainly true because they aren't really taught God's word in context. So they probably aren't aware of of something as basic Bible-wise as the 40-year wilderness wandering of the people of Israel. They went on a journey, and you can kind of follow this journey. You can, like, Google it, and, like, the journey literally looks like this. (laughs) They went on a journey. Google it. (laughs) No, this, this, this guy is quite the biblical scholar, you know. Just... Where are you taking us, God? And they find themselves at year 40, which is very similar because we're in year 40. And they find really year 40 of uh, Willow Creek is now a similarity between the 40-year wilderness wandering of the people of Israel. Unless you want to basically say the people at Willow Creek have been wandering aimlessly, never hearing the word of God. I would agree with that part. find themselves at this mountain range. And for one whole year, they camp out at this mountain range called Horeb. For a year. They get stuck. It becomes quite familiar, safe, and comfortable. They know where they can go to find water. They know where they can go to get food. Yeah, well, I've been renting the same house for a year and a half. I wonder what that means. I mean... I you know we, I know where all the grocery stores are and you know all the home you know improvement stores if when something goes wrong in the house yeah it's I guess I'm stuck folks I I'm uh oh, this is terrible I what am I gonna do or to trade they know where they can go if there's a dispute who to bring the claim to they have created a little bit of a city and when I say little there's probably between 1.5 and 2 million of them notice he hasn't read a single part of a biblical text yet he's just summarizing it according to the narrative that he's putting on the text he's not actually reading the biblical narrative he's creating his own narrative oh it's bad oh the people there they were stuck yeah stuck yeah you you are aware that the reason why the children of israel spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering is because the generation that came out of Egypt, of the adult men, they were being punished for their unbelief. And it was the children who were being raised up and coming into maturity, and the uh, the generation that wouldn't didn't believe that God was capable of giving them you know the promised land and giving victory to them, God was waiting for them to all die. Yeah, so the stuck for one year thing here, shows that you are grossly uh, unfamiliar with the actual circumstances that predicate the reason why the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. Camped out at a mountain. 
And God speaks in the book of Deuteronomy, and he says this. And the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, at that mountain range, saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. You stayed long enough at this mountain. For a year, you've stayed put. And my one question for you today is simply this. Can you name your mountain? What? Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> so there it is. You know, this it's not going to get any better from here, folks. It just isn't. Um, so apparently some verse in Deuteronomy, which he hasn't even referenced, really. Um, God says, you've stayed long enough here. Time for you to move on. So can you name your mountain? Apparently, so Horeb is an allegorical, parabolic mountain that really has its true meaning and significance in some part of your life that you're stuck in, which we'll just allegorically, metaphorically call a mountain. Unbelievable. I mean, just talk about just narcissistically ridiculous. This is utter absurdity. These people are not being taught a single thing about what God's word really is about. Wow. Can you name where you have stayed put? Can you name the place where you find yourself stuck? Where there isn't growth. Um, for the people there listening to you, that na- the name of that place is Willow Creek. It's just more of the same. Willow Creek, lots of the same, not a right handling of God's word. And it feels familiar and it feels comfortable. Even you like the coffee bar and the bookshop and, you know, the, 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 all that. It's very familiar and comfortable. Uh, you even wave to the same parking lot people, but it's, yeah, you're stuck there. You need to get out. Even though it's spiraling into bad habits or patterns. Yeah. Bad habits like twisting narcissistically God's word. Yeah. You can manage it. You can control it. I I refer to this as the overs. And let me just give you a number. Yeah, you refer to it as the overs? Really? Yeah, wow, you're so profound. Number of what these overs are. Maybe for some of you, you've overstayed in your role. Maybe God has whispered to you over the course of the last year. God's what? So God's whispering to you. You've overstayed your role. Now, Now, oh, yeah, well, there you go. Rather than making an objective decision, I feel a whisper. <gasps> Maybe God's whispering something to me. Huh? What? And said, hey, I want you to transition. Someone recently came up to me a few weeks ago after a service and said, you know, God has whispered that I need to step out of my job and start this new business. Should I do it? I said, well, if you think God whispered to you, I think you should do it. Yeah, I mean. There you go. I mean, you, why go against God? And whispers are like the the way God talks to us, apparently. Yet I just read earlier in the program that all scripture, scripture is God-breathed. Why would God whisper like that? Hmm. Yep, this is uh, just fraught with all kinds of problems. Uh, and the folks there are not being taught God's word correctly at all. Uh-huh. We continue. He's like, will you pray for me? 
Yeah, go do it. You know, like, if, if you've heard God, maybe you've overstayed in your role. Maybe for some of you, your mountain is that you're working overtime. Uh, what I mean by this is you're always accessible. Do you think that the real reason why God the Holy Spirit had Moses pen the words, you've stayed at Horeb long enough, time for you to move on, is so that people in the 21st century can say that they're, they've received a whisper to uh, no longer work overtime at their job? That, that's the real meaning of this passage that I don't even know where it is at this point. Unbelievable. Yeah, this, again, just total nonsense. You sit around the table and your phone is in the right position. It's face up and you're waiting for emails that never come. And you're more present to this little device than you are to the names and faces around the table. And the truth is, you don't even get paid for working overtime, but it's all in your head, and you're addicted to this. And maybe God's going to whisper to you, hey, you've stayed too long at that mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I get the feeling this sermon is something I'm going to stay too long in here. Maybe for some of you, it's overspending. You're consistently living outside of your means. And you're stressed. And God's going to say, you're stuck in this pattern. You've stayed too long at this mountain. It's time to move. Or maybe you're overcommitted. You have this consistent... Yeah, you've stayed too far, too long at the committed mountain. You need to move on from Mount Committed. Consistent inability to say no. Your favorite word is Yes. Yes, yeah, I'll be there. Yep, I'll be there. You show up 20 minutes late. Yep, I'll do that. I'll take on that assignment. And you've got so many plates spinning that you can never... Yeah, notice the guilt trip here. I mean, law, 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 law. And some of this is like legitimate law. Some of it's like bad law. Yeah, and the purpose of of God's law is to show us our sin. So will the solution be that we have a crucified and risen Savior who's bled and died for the mountain that we need to name? Uh-huh. Uh, we'll see. Offer your very best, and so you're consistently letting people down. Maybe God might whisper to you today, you stay too long at that mountain. I think if God's doing any whispering to the people at Willow Creek, he's saying, get out of Willow Creek leave immediately that's what god would be whispering to people maybe for some of you it's about overeating and you have this unhealthy emotional relationship with food in moments of stress in moments of feeling alone sadness you turn to food and maybe god's just going to whisper to you In the kindest, most loving way, it's time to leave that mountain. Time to leave Mount Obesity. Got it. Maybe for some of you, you're over-revved. I mean, you're on high alert all the time. You just got this ampage. I mean, you're so just worked up. Maybe for some of you, you're overreacting. This irrational response to something that doesn't meet your expectation. And people are dancing 
around you all the time, tiptoeing around the chaos, walking on eggshells because they're afraid that you might just lash out. Time for you to stop camping at Mount Overreacting. Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe God might just say, hey, we got to simmer down. It's time for you to leave that mountain. Maybe for some of you, you just, in 2015, were consistently overwhelmed. And you know what overwhelmed is? When you're stressed, plus having a lack of resources, plus feeling pressure, plus not having enough time, equals overwhelmed. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So you got to leave Mount overwhelmed now. Stress, pressure, lack of resources, lack of time, and I'm just overwhelmed. And maybe God's just going to whisper to you, maybe, maybe, maybe God's going to whisper to you, leave Willow Creek. Spent too long at that mountain. Or maybe for some of you, it's more spiritual. Maybe for some of you, it's about leftovers. You have been feeding off the leftovers of what God has done in your story five years ago. Uh, what? So you're feeding on Mount Leftovers, uh-huh. And he's not talking about food. I don't know what this is. This is just nuts. Eight years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you haven't had an encounter with Jesus. Oh, no. I haven't had a fresh encounter with Jesus in, in, in eight years. Uh, I, I need to stop camping at that mountain and move on. Time to move on. Or heard a whisper from God. Yeah, when I want to hear God speak, I read his word. When I want to hear him speak audibly, I read his word out loud. The written sacred writings of God. Yeah, it's called the Bible. You should read it sometime rather than twist it. And maybe today God's just going to whisper to you, stop living off the scraps from the past. Why would God say such a nonsensical thing? And let's feast on what I have for you. If you want to make 2016 something special, it begins with naming your mountain. (laughs) So that's the secret. I had no idea. So... The secret to <laughs> the secret to uh, having a special year is you first got to learn how to name your mountains. Oh, I've been doing it wrong all of these years. That's why I've never had a special year yet because I didn't know the Bible was teaching me that I needed to name my mountains first. What on earth? Where have you stayed too long? And all of those overs, they center around the relational or the familial, the spiritual, financial, physical, and professional. But if you want to make 2016 special, you got to name your mountain. Can you do that? No, I I refuse in principle to do this. I will never name my mountain because that's not what Deuteronomy teaches us to do, dude. What's amazing is that God doesn't just have you name that mountain. He actually is such a good, good father that he's going to teach you how to leave that mountain and progress and move towards something much better. What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, God is so good. He's not only going to teach you how to name that mountain. Yeah, God's going to gently teach you how to properly name mountains. Yeah, (laughs) because... No... 
Biblical text says to do this anywhere, but uh, God's going to help you learn how to, you know, leave that mountain too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not getting even a like remotely accurate depiction of why the children of Israel are even in the wilderness in the first place. He says this, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn. (laughs) Giving the false impression that now he's exegeting this, this text from Deuteronomy far from it because God didn't tell us to turn (laughs) good night turn I love this oh I bet because you you have this whole group of people who are fixated on what is working they can control this pattern (laughs) no you what are you talking about they understand kind of what to do around this mountain range but it's not God's best and you got to understand, you do realize they were waiting for people to die. That's why they were in the wilderness. They were waiting for that generation to die. That God, he wants to redeem and rescue and restore every part of you. Not just your soul for eternity. He wants to redeem and restore every broken part of you. Sounds so pious, and yet none of this has anything to do with anything in the book of Deuteronomy. Every broken and fractured relationship, God wants to restore. He is in the restoration business. Every square inch of our beautiful and broken world, God wants to restore. Yeah, you sound like you're in the deception business. And this is what he's trying to get the attention of, the people. You're fixated on this mountain. You're fixated on life, like that you are in control. I want Yeah, no, none of that nothing in the text says you're fixated like you're under you're in control. The text doesn't say that. I want you to turn and face what I have for you. And this idea is kind of where we get this word repentance. I think <laughs> Okay, so now we're gonna get to repent this is a strange leap. For many people the word repent is kind of a scary word. We think of people running around with signs and bullhorns. But I think it's one of the most beautiful words. Uh-huh. So clearly this guy has been impacted by uh, Rob Bell's Numa videos. That's where we're getting some of this from. Because when you think of the word repent, it means to turn your perspective. To tur- it means to change your mind. Turn and change your philosophy and mindset. It is a complete shift of priorities. Yeah, the problem is is that when it was time for the children of Israel to move on from Mount Horeb, this wasn't about them repenting. That's not what's going on in this text. To see a better way, a better vision. And that is what God is trying to get, the attention of the Hebrew people. Uh, No, that's not what's going on there. But what are they turning to face? What God is trying to show them is some miles away in the hill country is the land of God's promise. It's that promised land. See, what's so beautiful is God is having this whole people kind of turn their perspective to see what God has in store for them. What happens is our head space and our heart space get so fixated on the mountain that sometimes we are unable to turn and see the land of God's promise. What God has in store for us. 
the better life that God wants. And yeah, I'm a, I'm afraid that uh, you're uh, continuing to deceive these people. Nowhere in Scripture is are we led to believe that a better life in the here and the now is the promised land. Dreams for us. We're so fixated on this because we can control it. It's familiar, but God is consistently telling us to turn. Now, it's hard for us to. Let me read the passage, by the way. It's from the opening chapter of Deuteronomy chapter one. I just needed to make sure I got the cross references worked out here. Here's what it says These are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tafel, Laban. Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is an 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth in, in Endre, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and do to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, in the Negeb, and by the sea coast, and the land of the Canaanites, and, the, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads." And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him, and you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's, and the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time in the things that you should do. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kardesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go and take possession, as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up to the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. 
and they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our, your God, our God is giving us, yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. And then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went up and you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents by fire by night in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered and he swore not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on, on account and said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So, now that we got the text, we can look at the context, and it's patently clear that Steve Carter is utterly twisting this text, manipulating the people there at Willow Creek to believe something. This text doesn't even come close to teaching. You know, in verse 6 is the one, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country, the Amorites. That is talking about Israel right after the Exodus, where they were at Mount Horeb, and then we have the incident of the 12 spies and the 10 of them giving the bad report and Joshua and Caleb giving the good report. Joshua and Caleb are said to be allowed to go into the land of, uh, of milk and honey, whereas the rest of them, all of that generation of men over a certain age are going to die in the wilderness. He's making it sound like, oh, you turn and take your journey. This is, this is an example of repentance. No, it's not. This man is not even coming close to handling this text even remotely, you know, in the sense in which it actually was meant to be understood. This man is a great deceiver and a twister of God's word who needs to learn the importance of repenting because twisting God's word is blasphemous. And he's sinning against God and he's sinning against these people by doing this with God's word. Turn. I think for many of us, we see our lives like Dan Allender talks about in this book, To Be Told. We see our lives in a linear pattern. Ah, that explains the Rob Bell connection. Dan Allender, by the way, one of Rob Bell's early influences, total twister of God's word. Past, present, future. Our past, all of the good and all of the pain. The fears are experiences that have shaped us and hurt us and formed us. But here's something. Many of us just think, well, we had that, that happened, and then I'm in right now, and then we've got the future. But Allender recognized something. 
He said that our lives look more like past, future, present. That what we have experienced, this has nothing whatsoever to do with Deuteronomy chapter 1. In this past, the majority of us project that onto the future. I was abandoned once before. I'm going to be abandoned again. I was hurt once before. I'm going to be hurt again. And when we project that onto the future, then we orient our present to continue the same story and pattern. See, this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to turn the people. No, God is not trying to do anything that you think he's trying to do. This is not what this text is about at all. To have them have this new vision of what their life can be. Yeah, I just read almost all of Deuteronomy chapter 1. You're lying to these people. He wants to give them a future in which they can fully be as children of light. Fully be who he created them to be. And he wants to give them a future that reorients the way that they want to choose to live today. I love this idea. Because it's the thing that got them to say, you know what, we've been fixated on this. Now they can see the land of God's promise. What's amazing, you might not know this, is Deuteronomy is this beautiful book. 30 plus chapters. But in many ways, it's just a collection of the greatest sermons Moses ever told. And really, this journey from the mountain to the land of God's promise, it took 70 days. And on the 40th day, Moses dies. Moses dies. And they mourn for 30 days before they enter the land. So in many ways, this journey from the mountain to the land of God's promise only takes 40 days. What? It's 40 years in the wilderness. Have you even read Deuteronomy? (laughs) An entire generation of people dies in the wilderness because of the sin of the 12 spies. Actually, 10 of them. You know the song, 12 12 of them went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. I mean, where are you getting this information that it only took 40 days in the wilderness, huh? And when you read the book of Deuteronomy, over and over and over again, there's one word that you'll see, remember, remember. Remember, it's as if Moses is saying, hey, remember God's goodness. Remember to live God's ways. Remember as you enter this land of God's promise. Hey, remember to be these kind of people. Remember, 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 because it's so easy for our past to be projected on our future and for us to forget. How do you become a teaching pastor at a megachurch if you never really actually studied God's word and know how to rightly understand the Bible as a whole and in its parts? This is bizarre. It's amazing how good we are at remembering the things we ought to forget and forgetting the things we ought to remember. And God's telling them, turn. Have that vision for the land of my promises for you and chase after it. But look at the next verse. It says, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn 
and set your journey. I love this because what God is saying is, hey, don't just turn and be excited about this new vision. I think for many of us, we get so excited about our New Year's resolution. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm so excited. I read this magazine. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 1 has absolutely zero, nothing to do whatsoever with your New Year's resolutions. It's going to orient my life in this way. It's going to be amazing. But for many of us, we'd never actually set a plan or a pathway to get to that land of God's promise. This isn't just some kind of concept. or So the land of God's promise is me achieving my New Year's resolution? Really? What are you smoking? Idea that floats in the air. Our God is so good. He's going to teach us how to move from the mountain to that land of God's promise. And he says, you got to set your journey. You got to have that vision of what I want to do, the promises that I want to give to you. And you've got to set your journey, orient your life towards that. If you want 2016 to be something special, friends, what it means to set your journey, here's a few clues. The first All right, so first thing you got to do is you got to name your mountain and then you got to set your journey. I mean, you you want 2016 to be the best ever, right? Well, you, you start, so name your mountain and set your journey. Get to it, folks. thing is you've got to set the plan. You've got to set the plan. Whatever you feel that God is inviting in you, that area where you feel stalled and stuck at the mountain, and God's whispering to you, man, you've overstayed, you've over a, you're overcommitted, you are over it, finally. Here's where we need to go. You've got to set the plan. Yeah, you've overstayed at Willow Creek. You need to go find a real church with a pastor who can rightly handle God's word. And secondly, please share the plan. This isn't just you and God. What's so beautiful about Deuteronomy is that God is speaking to an entire community of people. And the people who have the best chance of getting to that promised land are the people who walk intentionally with community. Others are small. What? So now we're going to get communitarian, fascistic, um, you know, nonsense in the midst of all of this, too. Wow. Yeah. So are you walking intentionally in community? Well, yeah. set your journey and name your mountain, dude. If you want 2016 to be great, you know. Small group, accountability group, men's group, women's group, whatever that is. Yeah, Deuteronomy 1 has nothing to do with small groups. It's a group of people who can walk boldly and honestly, and they know each other's plan. What? But here's the other one. If you want to not just set the journey, you have to identify the pain points. Right. Yeah. I forgot to do that too. Yeah. I didn't name my mountain, forgot to set the journey and failed to identify my pain points. What was I thinking? See, every one of us has weaknesses. And every- yeah, yeah. And your weakness is, uh, uh, well, uh, the ability to rightly understand God's word, which means you're disqualified from being a pastor, yet alone a teaching one. Every one of us has a vulnerability in our plan. God was aware. God knew the other nations that were around for the Hebrew people to get there. He understood. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 1, you'll see God understands where the Hebrew people could be vulnerable, where they would want to return back to the mountain, to the safe and comfortable. It's not God's promises, but man, they can be in control of it. 
But what's important is that we identify where we are vulnerable in our plan. Say you have this emotional relationship with food. And you find yourself, man, I have this pain point with food. At 10.30 p.m., I find myself going to the refrigerator and eating. And I can't stop. Or in stress, after a hard meeting, I go to this. Or maybe for some of you, it's an addiction. In difficult times, when I feel sad, I go to the bottle. Whether of pills or drinking, I go to escape. And when you can identify that pain point, my ask of you is that you would share that pain point with your community so that they can be praying for you because they are the people who want you to reach that land of God's promise. And it's vulnerable and it's honest. So the promised land is sobriety. Uh-huh. Or, you know, if so if you're a drunk, and an alcoholic, uh, the promised land is sobriety, but then you die. Um, and uh, for, if you're obese, well, the, the promised land is, you know, being thin. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. What if the promised land is the eternal kingdom? And the physical promised land is a type and shadow. Read Hebrews 11. You'll see what I mean. And it's crucial if you want to reach that. You know, for a number of years, uh, I've had a friend, and he and I uh, have been really, really diligent to text each other every time we sit in our chair and read our Bibles. Because it's something that can so easily be forgotten or neglected. You can wake up late. You can set up all of these kind of breakfast meetings, and I feel like I'm doing good work and meeting with people, but I'm missing sitting with God. And what's so amazing is when I started to kind of identify some of my pain points, you know, he would just simply ask, why are you taking early morning meetings? Either wake up earlier or stop taking meetings that early. Nothing should get in the way of your 15 minutes of chair time. And to have someone who could identify the little bit of crazy making that I was creating in my own story that was stalling me from entering that land of God's promise was so crucial and so helpful. So the land of God's promise is quiet time, 15 minutes in the morning? I, I don't think so. Um, yeah, you know, here I you know, said, check out uh, Hebrews 11. Why don't we take a look at it? I mean, this, the Bible so clearly tells us what the promised land is. Hebrews 11.1, 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, by faith... The people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Uh huh. Verse 10 of Hebrews 11 makes it clear that the land of promise is the eternal city that comes out of heaven at the end of the book of Revelation. That's what he's looking for. That's the land of promise, not being skinny if you're fat, not being sober if you're an alcoholic, not spending 15 minutes with God every day in your devotions. That's not the promised land. The eternal kingdom is. Yeah, you see this guy's focus on the temporal has caused him to totally misinterpret and misunderstand God's word. To this day, he'll text me every time that he sits in his chair, and I'll text him every time I sit in my chair. There's no bragging, there's no competition, but it's just us inspiring one another, spurring each other on. Find someone who you can share the plan and share the pain points, who can spur you on. And think of it like Deuteronomy. Don't think about it in like this massive large scale of 365 days. Think of it in small increments of 40 days. It's basically six weeks. 40 days. Make it a little bit more bite-sized. I remember when I was in fifth grade, my parents dropped me off at Pepperdine University for a basketball camp. It's the first time I had basically been alone for five, six, seven days. I slept in the dorms, and at the end of the camp, they handed me a piece of paper, and it was an evaluation on my basketball skills. And here's what it said. Dribbling with his left hand, terrible. Passing, below average. Shooting, below, 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 below average. And I remember looking at this document going, there's no way I will ever play college basketball. I showed it to my dad, and my dad just kind of saw me walking away, and he kind of sticks his finger out, and he just says, hey, come over here. He gets down on his knees, and he just says, hey, Steve, here's the deal. If you look at this whole document, you will never play college basketball. But what if we did this? What if for one month, you spent the majority of time when you're at the park just working on your left hand, dribbling with your left hand? Master that for four weeks. And then the next month, why don't you just work and start passing? And you and I will go to the park and we'll just pass. And we'll learn how to dribble with our eyes up and we'll learn how to pass. And then after that, we'll spend the next nine years working on your jump shot. You need a lot of work. (laughs) But what he was doing was something so beautiful. But he was making it more bite-sized. And when it's more bite-sized, there's this moment where you can actually see the progression. It's not some grandiose, lofty goal. It's something that you are able in short spurts to attack and go after. 40 days. And once you get to that 40 days, at the end of it, calibrate, adjust. See what you learned. See how hard it was. See what was easy. Look ahead to the next 40 days and go, hey, what do I need to adjust about my schedule? about my life so that I can actually do this. And when you complete it, celebrate. Celebrate. 
celebrate. You're no longer at that mountain. You are on the journey, on the path towards the land of God's promise. And the yeah, boy, really, uh, boy, apparently God's really into promising really just small things now rather than eternal life. He has promised you thinness or, you know, uh, you know, a better, you know, left-handed dribble or something, right? People of God, we need to be the best at celebrating and rejoicing that we're moving. We're not staying put. I love this verse in Deuteronomy. You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Yeah, you shouldn't love it because you've totally ripped it out of context. You have no clue what it's actually saying. Turn. Set your journey, set the plan, and lastly, and go. And go. And I think this is where many of us stall. This is where it's almost as if God is kind of putting a line in the sand and saying, hey, here's as far as I can take you. I've made you identify that mountain. You've named it. You have turned. You see the land. You have that vision. We've set the journey. Now it's up to you. Will you go? Will you take a step? Will you trust? Will you take some ground? Will you move forward? Will you press on even when it's difficult? And for some of us, we start out really, really good for two days. And we start taking that step. And then all of a sudden, we start like feeling tempted or scared or shame. And we return right back to the mountain. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. See, I want you to hear God saying, you've stayed so long at this mountain. You need to turn. You need to set that journey. You need to go. You need to move. You need to take some ground because that story over here is so much better for you. And like Jim Harbaugh once said, when I think of that word go, it means to attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. I love that line. I have it up in my office. Because when I think about... I'm sure you do. Unfortunately, you have no clue what Jesus actually teaches and what the scriptures actually say kind of made up your own doctrine and your own religion. About leaving that mountain and going, I want to attack it each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Every day taking one step, becoming better than I was yesterday, deeper in God's word than I was yesterday, more and more into who God wants me to be than yesterday, and tomorrow I'll be better than I was yesterday, and little by little by little by little, I will see myself not at a mountain, but more and more and more into the image of God. That's what God wants for you. That's what God desires for you. Yeah, none of this is capable of actually producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Like, not even close. So I want to end a little bit different today. I don't want you to leave. I don't want us to gather at the end of 2016... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience as they get ready to make decisions, you know, important decisions. You know, the decision to name their mountain and turn and set their journey and um, stuff. 
Right, yeah. The Holy Spirit has nothing to do with this sermon at all, because God's Word was not preached at all accurately in this sermon. But you have kind of in your own way stayed put at that mountain. I love about Willow is Willow's high challenge. Willow, people don't come to Willow just to kind of sit. People come here because, and I hear it over and over again, I'm pushed, I'm inspired, I'm challenged from God's word. And Yeah, no, actually, you weren't taught God's word if you were at Willow. That's the mountain that you should name and leave. And through the whispers of God's spirit. To yeah, no, no whispers there going on. If God were whispering anything to the people at Willow, he'd be telling them to repent and leave and find a real church. To move forward. And just by a show of hands, I, I just need to see how many of you can name your mountain. How many of you know where that mountain is? Yeah. Are you stayed put? And you have a choice. You can stay there another year. And I'll tell you, it's comfortable, it's crazy making, but you're in control of it. Or you can turn. You can turn towards a promise that God has, that God wants to redeem, God wants to restore, God wants to lead you somewhere. Yeah, God wants to lead us to the city whose builder is God. Yeah, unfortunately, the folks there at Willow are not on their way to that promised land. They're on their way to, you know, achieving their New Year's resolutions. Would you do that? And not just to turn and have this vision and have this grandiose idea of like, someday it's going to be better. Someday it's going to be better. No, I'm asking you this week, set the journey. Set the plan. Share the plan. Who are you going to invite into this? You want to leave that mountain. It's holding your life back. It's keeping you in check. You're not becoming the person God dreams you to be. You're not. The, the person God dreams for me to be, really? not thriving. You're not flourishing. You're not shining in the way that God wants you to. You're not sparkly, bright, and clean. Set that journey. Bite-sized pieces, 40 days. Calibrate. Celebrate. And then, let's go for it. Let's go for it because we have a God who's with us and a God who's for us. A God who doesn't want us to stay put, but a God who's gently guiding us, leading us, helping us to take us to the land of promise. I guarantee if we do this, we will see. If we do this law, 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 it's all up to you whether or not you're going to get to the promised land. It's all up to you, law, 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 no gospel here. Step back at the end of 2016 and we will gather together. And we will say those two words, those only two words that can make sense and kind of capture what God has done. It's only God. Only God. But it requires us to have the faith. Will you arrive at the end of 2016 and just look back and go, oh, that's so amazing. Only God. Only God. Yeah, no. To turn, to set, and to go. Amen. 
You in? No. All right, let's stand. No, done. Wow. Yeah, so uh, Willow Creek's gone from the frying pan to the fire, and uh, wow, that was just some a real hot mess of nasty narcissists out there. And, uh, oh, complete with a quivering lip and, oh, the right kind of angst guy, the Rob Bell. Are you in or not? You know, the, 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 don't you want to be a part of the vision and the dream that God has for your life? Don't you want to make it to the... Pr-? Yeah, yeah. All with an out-of-context verse, narcissated. Yeah, that's not what God's Word teaches or says at all. They weren't taught Christianity, and this is powerless to produce the fruit of the Spirit in their life, which is the result of true Christian sanctification. They weren't taught true Christian sanctification. That was something completely different. That was a motivational speech that blasphemously hijacked God's name, ripped one of his sentences out of his book out of context to make it say something it doesn't say. This is just utter, nonsensical, narcissistic blasphemy. That is all we heard. What do you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>